Right, we're gonna go live now. Let's go. Fuck yeah, bitches. We're live. Are we? Uh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Can you guys hear me okay? What an intro. Yeah. What an <coughs> intro. Oh. Fucking wow. soundboard. Dude, the sounds. I love it. <laughs> what the fuck? Dude, you are Howard Stern. Like you, <laughs> you have just become him. I just want to make sure. I just want wanted to make sure that everything is working well. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So your sound, your your voice is very sexy, Mitch. I love it. I know. Thank you. I know. I, I you know I, I know I don't know which who whose voice is sexier, mine or yours. I think you yours. You know those Eastern European accents? They're all super hot. <laughs> Dude, I, I haven't been talking to you in, since like forever. I think uh, last time we were talking, it's when we went out in Irvine, right? It was was like it or one of the Ghost in the Shell meetings? Like which one of those? Um, I don't remember. Oh yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. It was Irvine uh, lunch with, uh, I think with Jonathan Berugo was there, Anthony Johns. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and then we, we went also for dinner with, oh, you were were you were you with that with us on that dinner with Fausto? I think there was one dinner I missed because oh, for yeah. some stupid reason yeah, you decided I decided to, to be like, oh fuck so it, I don't want to meet with Fausto and Aaron Beck and no, all the ah, other savages. Stop it. <laughs> I will never forgive myself, dude. <laughs> dude, it's so awesome. All right, no, I mean we've been live since like a couple of minutes and um, nice. All right. Uh, Hello, everybody. Yeah, and uh, this man doesn't need any introduction, I would say. Uh, is that correct? Is that the right thing to say? Um, Vitali, Vitali, and Andrew. Can I can I just say that you, Vitali, you just don't you just really don't need any introduction. Uh, Anyone who's just... here should already know who you <laughs> are. And if you don't know if you don't know who Vitali is, you should fucking leave and maybe unsubscribe from this channel. <laughs> Uh, wow, dude, thanks. not worthy. Yeah, thanks you're so not worthy to, to listen to this if you don't know who that person is. So. <laughs> no, dude, I've been always fond of your work. I remember when you released um, the Black Phoenix, and um, and I saw it. I was like, "What on earth is going on here? What the fuck?" <laughs> I was so excited to see that stuff, thanks, dude. Man. Thanks it's, a lot, bro. Like seriously, coming from you means a lot. You've been a huge inspiration for me. So thanks, thanks a bunch. You're too kind. <laughs> Dude, you've the fidelity of your work is like I always been like, what the fuck? How did you and what even like I don't even understand. Now I, and now we're actually seeing that thing on the screen. Is that I'm assuming some a lot of it is cat or this specifically was soft image. I open it this one, it's a it's a black widow spider tank because it's kind of a combination, I guess, of all of all three favorite uh, workflows. It's got some cat. It's got some ZBrush kind of a freeform right. uh, sculpting, and then it also got some sub-Ds. I opened them all like subdivided models, so it's a bit slow in the viewport. Uh, yeah, just thought, you know, just to keep our eyes entertained while we're talking shit. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to, you to paint something, but... Uh... Oh, it's dude, let's work. go. <laughs> Tell me paint a horse and I'll go jump off a cliff because I can't paint it. <laughs> No, you're 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 a savage though, dude. Um, yeah, we haven't been uh, chatting a lot uh, recently. You've been always busy. You've been always, uh, you know. Uh, it, it's funny because like, anytime I was trying to get you on our cafe or even just even get you out to you know hang out and get a beer or something, it was just like, oh, I'm busy. 
Dude, last year and the beginning of 2016 was a bit kind of insane. It was kind of a great lesson for me. Then don't try to to bite more than you can than you can chew. What do you mean? And that's like... why I had this kind of a period. It's like I couldn't do anything. So I'm <laughs> I think I'm slightly wiser. I'm still a fool, but like slightly wiser. I don't do as much. Yeah. So it's and it's better that way. I think like I'm more productive, healthier, definitely. And uh, so yeah, I'm very happy to be here tonight. Thanks so much, man. Uh, really appreciate it. Are you I, trying I to say it's you... not healthy to work on five projects at once? Uh, yeah, I'm working <laughs> on four right now, but it's more paced and it's it's right. way. <laughs> it's only it's four not... projects. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's not like full time. It's very kind of scheduled and regulated. And we can talk more about this stuff. And it sounds like a lot. It's actually not that many. And uh, and it's uh, and it's healthier, much healthier. Like I sleep eight hours. Like I feel great. It's been it's been good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overworking yourself is the worst thing you can do. You know, especially you know when you're at your level of skill. You know, you're basically so. I would consider yourself to be a leader of hard surface design in in the industry right now. I don't think I know that many other artists out there that can produce. Uh, the quality that you're producing. I'm sure there's a bunch that just don't post it. Like there are a lot um, of people. Like... I don't know. I mean, there's one person that comes close to you, but it's still oh, n- stop it. Thanks, still man. Not there. Um, that I know of, um, and that po- that person obviously is not posting much. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, you know, you would you would hear about those those people. You would you would definitely see those designs online and you don't see them if you don't see them they don't exist you know that's that's my assumption yeah i'm, t- I'm telling you like one of the most humbling experience was working with uh, boston dynamics i saw some of their cads of their engineers those are the most bad badass 3d modelers like seriously if you think you can 3d model like you just open one of their like hydraulic pump or like something like this that shit is insane it's all cad and it's just as a cherry on you know on the cake like it's a freaking functional robot like so i think like so far from what i've seen those have been like the craziest models i've seen so this it's it's insane and like those people they never post any of this i mean you see like they're engineering awards on the walls and stuff but they're always in their labs and you can't see any of that stuff online you only see the final product so and and there are a lot of guys like that yeah i mean in in engineering it's definitely there's a lot of people like that and it, but it's a little different you know uh, what they do is uh, more uh, i guess you have more experience in that too because you've been fucking building max like real max <laughs> um but I haven't finished yet but <laughs> i think <laughs> but in engineering there's um you know everything is done towards uh, it, it's more done towards the function and making sure that it's actually going to work rather than yeah. the design itself and uh, what I was implying here is more of a design aesthetic aspect to it, you know. Um, and I really, really respond to that because it's one thing to see engineering, um, you know, CAD models and be really freaking excited on how they look and like how amazing this works really look and knowing that the, it, all of it is functional, right? Yeah. But... Um, but if there's no design, there's there's no excitement about it. It's it's like um, I think a great parallel is looking back at Apple, early days of Apple, or the time when they they started to release. Uh, I think it was Mac two or Mac three, mm-hmm. the the one um, 
the one that was like a monitor and a computer in, in itself. Oh, that's it right. was this yeah. very, very colorful looking thing. And, you know, when Steve Jobs were having conversations with his engineering and design team, he basically settled on the design that he liked. And then what he said to engineers was fucking make it happen. I, I don't care. I don't care how you're going to do it. I, mm -hmm. I, just make it happen. And what it, what it does to, you know, technology, software, software, hardware, whatever that is, it's, it's pushing um, the boundaries to, to achieve something new, something else that everyone else would consider it's not even possible to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, I mean, if, if everyone would be, if, if the industry would be driven by engineers only, then every computer would look like, a, like an old PC, basically. Like you would never have uh, iMacs. You would never have, you know, tablets or anything like that. When yeah. iPad was released, everyone was laughing at it. Like, what the fuck? I like tablet? What? Like, what? It's not a laptop. Doesn't have a keyboard. Fuck that shit. You know. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it's like right now it's the most popular, one of the most popular devices that is out there. Uh, seriously. So, um, you know, I can. I can tell just by looking at how industry, just even computer industry works, right? You could tell that design can drive industry in the directions that you would never imagine uh, they would go into, right? Oh yeah, totally. I think that's how uh, uh, I think that's how I started working in uh, in the product field without actually being an engineer and really understanding, uh, really having in-depth knowledge about the function. Mm -hmm. Because in certain cases, I would be like, oh, guys, I, I don't really know how it works. It's like, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. If you make it look good, you're going to challenge the engineers. You're going to inspire them. I'm like, really? Come on, that's bullshit. You really need to know that, right? So there is a healthy balance there. But I yeah. totally agree with you that we, we live in this. And I think part of the consumer economy and the, and the world that we live in, it's also partially to blame because we're kind of this total constant chase of novelty, right? And as a consumer, uh, it, it's... it's uh, Touches kind of like three aspects, right? The first to function, like is this computer faster, right? But then also the ergonomics, like the a little smart ideas that in terms of usability. Uh, and then also like, does it look good? Does it make me feel happy when I, every time I turn this thing on, right? So yeah. I think this, now we're in this kind of a interesting kind of bridge and cross section of different fields, right? We have a whole new generation of, uh, CEOs and, and, and top executives that grew up playing video games, man, come on, like Elon Musk was playing Quake competitively, right? Like when he, <laughs> yeah. I think, and, and SpaceX, and actually that's what, we, that's where we met, I think the first time with you, Maciej, you took me on a tour to SpaceX. Thanks again, by the way. I, I, I didn't, I didn't take you on a tour to SpaceX. I mean, you helped I just have connections. I still you know still, some people there, so. I, sure, but like what I'm saying is that. You should uh, you should thank Simon because he was the Simon. If you're listening, thanks so much, man. It was not, one of but the I, I'm gonna try to get him on this podcast. Actually, you know, it'll be oh, fun to talk do. with him. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was saying, like, if if you get like people like Elon Musk playing games, and uh, and you know, we get people who who drive technology and how that technology works, looks, uh, grew uh, growing up, uh, you know, being avid players of video games or liking even just science fiction movies then of course we live in a time where things will eventually look different, right? Yeah. In terms of like, what is it, what does aspiring design even means, right? So yeah, I think, I think it's a good, it's a good time to, to, to do 3D and design or 2D, any, any sort of art media. I think it's a good time for sure.
Yeah, I mean, if, if looking at where the industry is going, I can definitely tell that being a designer and being a good one, or at least aspiring to be the best in the industry as a designer, is a path to go because what it's going to take you, what it's going to get you is stability. Um, if you do, I don't know, if you decide to do UVs or things that are very technical, but not necessarily creative or uh, design related, that, that's, the, that's the things that will slowly become a past, you know? Uh, I can give you, like, it, it, it's funny because like everyone, like when you look at software, for instance, when you, when you look at, let's say Uber, right? You have, a, you have an app, you have this service, it's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. It's basically pushing taxis away, it's, it's cheaper, People that drive Uber are way ni nicer than taxi drivers and all that stuff. Um, and people, people, you know, can make a living out of it. You know, uh, I think yeah. in uh, there is quite a lot of people that live in Sacramento, for instance, and they commute every day down to San Francisco just to Uber because it's so so good to actually do it uh, in Silicon Valley because oh, nice. everyone yeah. is fucking taking Uber <laughs> over there, obviously. Um, but just recently, uh, they've, they've announced, Uber announced that they're going to have autonomous cars. They, they're not going to have drivers in them. You can basically uh, call in autonomous car that is going to drive you around to the right place without a driver in it. So that alone is like a small industry that just raised up and is slowly yeah. starting to die because everything becomes automated. Things that can be done as a regular labor are basically going away, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was kind of interesting what you said, uh, the fact that, you know, uh, when, you're, when you're doing 3D, when you're doing art in general, something creative, creative work is going to get you somewhere until, you know, they've, they're going to create AI, <laughs> basically makes things better than we do. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which can eventually happen, but I <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. It's kind of it's scary and fun and interesting at, at the same time because... It is. You know, uh, you're. I think you're at my age or around my age as well. Uh, you, you were born in, and it's, actually, you yourself, especially, you're from Eastern Europe as well. So you know, uprising or up, up, upbringing is pretty similar uh, to mine, yours actually. And um, and the, the funny thing is that you've experienced a lot of same things that I've experienced, and um, and that is, you know being in the, in, the, in the place where there was no internet and then re like slowly discovering what internet really is when yeah. it started to you know expand from america to europe and then eventually to eastern europe um getting to know like art 2d and 3d and you know seeing craig mullins and all that stuff you know regular phones the the rotary phones and like everyone with fucking zeros in their phone number you were like fuck that guy i don't want to call him because he's zero oh yeah dude, those phones i remember that <laughs> um or seeing first i think my parents still got one <laughs> really they have like two and one of them i think they, they kept one of those of course nobody uses that but it's a nice prop very hipster like <laughs> that's funny. so funny do you remember seeing first cell phones in the school oh yeah dude only like the brick had a cell phone when i was in school dude if if, uh, if if a dude had a cell phone that like he was a gangster, dude. yeah, it was a mafia. You don't want to mess with that guy. Fuck yeah, because <laughs> like everyone's so poor around. Like whoever had money is usually had some mafia ties, you know. 
Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I got my uh, first uh, console to play. Uh, you know, at the time where like there was a PlayStation 2 was already out, and I got my Sega Mega Drive 2 or something to play like Mortal Kombat 2. Mm-hmm. That I was collecting medals on the street and just you know yeah. scrap metal. That's how I made money for my first console. You know. Damn. I remember having my first Amiga 600. Dude, oh, I was sh- I was bowling there because I was like one of few people on the in, in the in our neighborhood that had a computer. So Damn, like, bowler. Fuck yeah, it's a bowler. Yeah. And uh, I think I got it for like a birthday or some like some like one of the significant things that happened nice. in my life was just getting that. I was so fucking happy, dude. <laughs> but what I'm what I'm getting at is just like you. The the thing the amount of things that changed over the last twenty years it's just like so immense. Like even thinking about life five years ago, about what we had uh, five years ago versus what we have right now, the amount of convenient things that you you get uh, from life, whereas Amazon, YouTube, like even fucking YouTube, right? Yeah, I mean, you oh, it's, YouTube it's surreal. Accessibility today, just it's it's surreal, yeah. and it's funny how quickly we get used to it. You know, yeah. it's like it's almost like we always had it. <laughs> <laughs> you used to have a dial-up uh, internet connection. You would be so freaking happy to load yeah. an image that would be loading for like twenty seconds. Like yeah. fuck yeah, image. Oh, dude, my first my first freelance. Uh, I was uh, still in Moldova in my technical university. I didn't have internet where I lived, where I was renting a room. Uh-huh. And I would take this floppy disk and, uh, you know, like what the, the small square block, what's whatever they call like a floppy disk. That was a three inch or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was and five I inch would, and three inch later on. Yeah. And the, and the first freelance uh, for like a game I was working on, I would send it to like an underground Internet cafe, you know, <laughs> would, would just export like as OBJ and zip that thing and would send it going there paying like time to for the Tuesday internet so like the <laughs> communication was only you know at specific hours it was it was very interesting yeah i my first internet was going to uh internet cafes you know like going yeah. there and and uh and connecting and browsing forums and like oh fucking this is exciting um but you know uh i think my first internet was dial-up when i had it at home and then there was a guy who, who got like really fast internet. So he started reselling it to everyone or like oh, fucking nice. putting illegal cables everywhere. Of course <laughs> he <like> did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, depending, on what, depending on what time you would log in, it would be either really fast if everyone's sleeping or really yeah. slow if everyone was online. So it was like funny times. Um, but the amount of things that changed, you know, um, right now you have Amazon, you have fucking I don't know, uh, YouTube, all the streaming services, all the art schools, um, self-driving cars, iPhones that are in, and other phones that are basically are your GPS, computers. Like a phone itself right now is way more powerful than really good computer 10 years ago. And yeah. it does everything for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty, crazy. pretty much does everything for you. It's your camera, it's your camcoder, it's your fucking food ordering service it's uh your nanny your fucking you know workout tracker like there's just so many things you can do with a phone right now a gps and you can even dive with some phones which is kind of kind of crazy crazy too um and yeah. uh just like thinking how things are gonna change in the next 20 years that's gonna be interesting too because you know 
right now, as you said, like we're getting used to things very fast, and uh, we really, it's really hard to appreciate those those things um, when when they're already here. Like once, like I'll give you a good example. My phone stopped working for uh, for a day. Like I had some yeah. problems with it. I felt like I lost my hands basically. Oh, it's I like bet what, what am I gonna do what, with my time what now? Do with yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. What? What? What the hell am I going to do with myself right now? Right now, without a phone. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of powerful. Um, so it's it, you know, it's gonna be interesting what's gonna happen in the next twenty years, uh, especially from artist perspective. You know, like seeing how VR is, is expanding and. Now, like looking at VR, I'm I'm mm -hmm. asking myself whether it's, that's going to be even a thing because AR is right around the corner too, and yeah. that can supposedly be something even more exciting than the VR itself. You know, yeah. I think there was what was the um, what was the name of that Microsoft thing that they're doing? Not the Hololens. There was something else that is basically AR, uh, and the way it works is um, it's basically image projected. Straight right, right, right. Retina. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. I think, and yeah, keep going. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but basically, the the, the whole concept is that there is a device somewhere in the in the room, like the, you were in the room, or maybe in the city, or somewhere. If there is this device that operates that that thing, I don't even remember how it's called. Um, basically, what it does, it's it it's projecting an image. Uh, towards your retina and mm -hmm. it f it scans environment to find your fucking eyes and then project images to your eyes um and i think the demo there was they were having a demo on the on the side where there there is like a huge whale um emerging from like a basketball course court and then like you know splashing the water there's like a little girl sitting on the uh, uh, lying on a bed and like she she sees like a little dancing ballerina in front of her that kind of stuff it's so trippy because apparently the way this device works is exactly what you see in this video it's just obviously mm -hmm. video is a vfx but um but the whole concept works exactly that way so it's just like imagine like sitting in a I was having this uh, this idea. I was talking. I think it was w on one of the previous art cafes where, you know, you have Pokemon Go, for instance, right? Imagine right. where you have games where AR is projecting attachments or things in the environment that don't exist, and you see them, and you can play without looking in the phone. You just walk around and talk to yourself, basically. Yeah, that's kind of the ultimate destination for all of that. Hopefully, when we when we get old, we'll get to play games like that because yeah. that would be interesting. That I think it was Magic Magic Leap. Someone uh, Adam Adam mentioned Magic Leap. I think that's that's what it is. Hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what that what that was. Boy. Dude, what got you into CAD? I'm curious. Dude, that's a that's a that was a, a kind of a, a not very linear journey that I didn't really plan. Um, so, what happened is. Uh, so if you like kind of a, a quick detour, right? So my yeah. initial background, right? I started in video games quite some time ago, maybe like 12 years ago, doing 3D modeling, right? Yeah. And uh, slowly progressed towards like doing, using like 2D and 3D to do concept art. And then eventually like tools got good enough uh, and you know, you could develop a workflow just using 3D for, for design, right? And 
so that uh, one of the Macs, the Black Phoenix project, the ambulance Mac, mm -hmm. the guys at Intuitive Surgical, with the, which is a surgical robotics uh, company, I think they saw it and I think they saw some of the ideas and like combination of like the aesthetics and also just some practical ideas there that they, they liked the thinking about it. And at the time I was working on Transformers, I was at ILM and I was already finishing the project. And uh, the director of product development, he invited me to just come over to Intuitive, 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 sorry, Intuitive Surgical just to check it out. And I think he might have even listened uh, to Ash's podcast and I think he heard that my dad is a surgeon. And he was like, dude, just like come over here. Like this is how the 21st century surgeries are done. And I heard something about Da Vinci system. I, I, and I, when I heard about it a long time ago, I thought that was kind of a concept. I didn't know that this actually exists for 10 years. There's yeah. been companies that they use that. And for, for people who don't know, basically uh, imagine, so this robot, right? It's, uh, it's, it's a system that's got like four, well, I'm talking of one of the products, got like four mechanical robotic arms that are remotely controlled by a surgeon uh, through a set of uh, what Dude, you have kind to of slow down like with that. You have to slow down with that slideshow. Too much? Too, too fast? It's too, it's yeah, too I, don't, awesome. I don't know if I can make it slower. Yeah, okay, you know what? Slower. Let me just go back, uh, go back to, to the story. So basically, so I went to check out the surgical system, right? The Da Vinci system. And what it does, like instead of opening a patient open, like his chest open to do the surgery, right? What you could do is to just make small incision points where depending on the instruments, it could be eight millimeter radius or like 12 millimeter, whatever, right? Yeah. And one of the incision points uh, get injected with a stereoscopic endoscope and the other two or three, depends on the procedure, could be injected with a small uh, robotic arms. And yeah. they, the tip of those arms, they end with a so-called anti wrist that got the same degrees of freedom and the same dexterity as a human wrist, except they're even better because they're so small and they can reduce the, the shakiness in the hand and everything. So basically this is really the way of making uh, the surgery kind of like, this is the future way of making a surgery, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and when I check out the system, like actual on the, on a, they have like a training facility with like kind of a, a model of a, of a human body and you see how precise it is and how intuitive the motion is. Like I really, I was really blown away by the fact how, um, just precise and awesome that is and and the people that work on it they're really just geeking out on it so much like you can they're like you know <laughs> when you work in the art department on the movie or on the video game and, and people really like what they do like in terms of just jamming uh, like jamming on ideas and brainstorming all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff the same you get with engineers except they're making something that is actually good for humanity right and and as we had this conversation i i started to just kind of brainstorm some ideas, uh, what you could do. And, and as a, almost as a half joke, uh, their director said like, well, why don't you just make a concept for that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you I were like, like, fuck yeah, I will. And I was like, sure. And I, uh, came back after the tour and I made this arm, everybody mm -hmm. arm that was supposedly do that, but that was more, uh, so they sent me what they wanted to, to, to be like, but they wanted to try like a different visual language. And I did something quick, uh, it was like under one day, and I sent it to them, and they instantly offered me a job. It's like, hey, don't <laughs> for us. And I, and I tried to explain, hey, this is what I, my strong, strong size, but this is the things that I don't know, so I will have to figure it out. And by that, by, by the things I 
didn't know, I meant like, okay, if I do something, how do I give it to engineer? They can't open an OBJ file. And that was like three or three and a half years ago, or almost four, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, and so as I started working with them at the same time, I also started doing some freelance for Intel, uh, doing kind of the same thing. And my colleague at the time at uh, Intuitive Surgical, he showed me uh, MOI 3D, which is a CAD modeler, very simple one mm -hmm. compared to like SolidWorks, where you can make a, a very complex assemble, uh, assembly of parts and calculate everything from weight and cost and everything, right? So this was just the CAD modeling, but the guy who created it, I think his name is Michael Gibson. He's, he's really kind of a, a genius programmer, but also with artistic mind. And he, right. his whole uh, mentality for that uh, software was to, he even called it moment of inspiration. When you feel inspired, you have an idea, you can just open the software and you can sketch out a CAD model or you can make something quick. Yeah. And when I tried it, uh, I really liked it because it felt a lot like exercise, uh, soft image exercise to me. Right, right, right. By some reason. For, for some weird reason, it felt like a weapon, you know, very kind of click, clack, precise, and just CNC out of metal. Like I really liked the feel for it. And because I had to do some CAD while at Intuitive Surgical, I think I went through the threshold while the software was still kind of new to me. And it becomes really just easy for me to use. And that's how I started using it more. And, and then after working like for a year and a half, I think, or, or less than a year and a half at Intuitive Surgical, I went to Intel. And I kept using that, but I still I still use like sub D modeling and I still use ZBrush. Mm -hmm. It's just from from that moment on, it's the whole new world of possibilities for design opened up. You know, once you do when once you start doing CAD, yeah. uh, even if you do this just for entertainment design, just the way you do this. And I know you like you already use that, uh, like you use Fusion uh, 360, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah, based on like what you do, you already really like it in terms of just the, the tools and i heard you really love it and this badass work so yeah it's, I, yeah, it's a little you. different than moi um yeah. it, it it has a different different philosophy behind it i feel moi moi feels a little more organic in a way mm -hmm. like it, it feels you have more possibilities to create more organic looking things and more organic looking shapes um, yeah, you, you definitely can. You can do a lot of stuff there. And yeah. I know there's. I, I was talking with Eden Graziu, and he was showing me like how much things you can customize in that software. So that was kind of impressive thing to see. The only drawback that I that I saw there compared to Fusion 360, and you know, I guess it's just a matter of um, being really used to using something and knowing it that you yeah. don't really want to change after you do that. The only thing was just like. Those little quirks and little um, things that kind of weren't so intuitive, or like for instance, one of the confusing part for me was that um, when you build something, you can't really tell whether it's a surface or a body. You know, like you have to connect surfaces; they have to be connected first to create a body. Or like, I want to move something and it doesn't move the whole thing; it just moves to one of the surfaces. It was just like kind of frustrating to get things connected and then do booleans. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that might have been also older version that I was using. Uh, whereas, for instance, when I was using Fusion 360, I could tell right away if something is a body object or not, because it was just even Just more properly. friendly, like yeah. software friendly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It felt, yeah, it's got, it felt super it's got easy to get into. Things in MOE, it's got certain things that at first they might feel like a disadvantage. Right. But then you, as, as, you, as you progress, and depending on what you do, it, they, 
actually feel like they feel right. Like you understand yeah. they weren't random decisions. They were intentional for like specific. And now gotcha. I'm, I'm been doing certain things. Uh, I've been doing parts that have to be uh, very precise. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, I would get like the servo motor and I need to design a casing for it. That would be like made out of carbon fiber. And I would need to make sure we use all the space uh, that we got, like without uh, sacrificing the range of motion. And it's yeah. been kind of really tricky for me. And because you like all the supporting guide, the guiding system that you, you make in MOI using snapping tools, mm -hmm. that stuff is really strong. And at first, like I really kind of did, didn't like it. I felt like it was slowing me down because it, it almost like it, it makes uh, a comma sign. It's almost like imagine you make this sentence and after every word there is a comma. <laughs> right. Like it's almost like kind of messing with your flow, right? Yeah. And at first I didn't I didn't quite get it. And maybe this is somewhat similar to what what you had. And then as I started doing more just precise stuff and I, I there's also like community is pretty amazing in terms of just like reading and, and checking out tutorials or just like documentation and all the commands. And because you can customize it all, you can really just change it all. Yeah. Uh, like the software is written on HTML. So it feels like it's still uh, I think it's still growing as as uh, something that hasn't reached its, its potential. And I feel like if, let's say, uh, more people start to use it, it's going to definitely become, a, hopefully, a more friendly, let's say, like Fusion. Because apparently Fusion, I think it's a bigger bigger teamwork than it, right? I, I don't yeah, know, it's, but I it's would a, imagine. It's a new, it's a new um, child uh, of, of Autodesk. They're really putting a lot yeah, of so into it. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just like, let's say, one man that carries out his vision. It's no, more no, no, like no, trying to reach more people, right? So, yeah, I would imagine it would be probably different. I still want to spend some more time with it because I only spent maybe like a few hours in Fusion. Right. And I, I liked it and uh, I felt like, dude, if I spend more time, it would be kind dude, of why don't you why don't yeah. you join one of our streams? We're going to have Curtis Chan, who is the evangelist of Fusion 360. He knows everything about the software. And we're going to oh, have sweet. him on when Twitch. When is that? We're going to have him on Twitch stream for, okay. for Learn Squared. I just need to check my calendar when exactly we've, we've scheduled that. <clears throat> and awesome. if that time works out for you, you should definitely join us. It's gonna be me and Ash on that stream. So it's gonna be a lot of fun, dude. That'd be, that'd be great, yeah. Yeah, please let me know. Yeah, the 27th. 27th, there you go. Yeah. It's on 1 p.m., right? Uh, no, it's 6 p.m. 6 p.m., all right. 6 p.m., 27th. Check, the, okay. check it, that works for yeah. you. All right, I'll send you yeah, I think it works it. right now, it kind of works. Oh, they put it in a calendar and it's going to happen. Yeah, right? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. I can tell you... Uh, stop messaging me, Andrew, because I didn't disable notifications. <laughs> um, what I was about to say... Oh, yeah. Um, when I saw your Black Phoenix, right? This, that stuff you did. Like, how, did, how in the fuck... He did all those details, and um, and then I've I've I, I think we I think we were talking about uh, I think I was bugging you with like tons of questions, and then eventually figured out you were doing like Moi 3D and all that stuff. And I think I also had some conversation with Gavril during that time, and you know jumped into Fusion, and that's how how I started doing that as well. I can tell you that you know you've inspired me to to go CAD. And pretty much for 99.99% of hard surface designs that I do right now for, wow. for anything That's is done so in fun. Fusion. I've, I've designed fucking 
Maj- you've, you've seen some of the stuff that I did for um, we've been working on this together on the ghost dude, in the shell, in the shell. yeah <laughs> fucking amazing dude it's... I was like alright <laughs> you, you, was... you paint like a motherfucker now you do stuff in cat alright you, you, know, you know what was funny I was gonna, I'm gonna give you a funny story uh, I... it's not spilling any beans but dude you are a fucking workhorse anyone who works with for anyone who, who, who doesn't know how fast Vitaly is He's probably the fastest fucking guy on earth. And anytime I'm working on the project that like with you, <laughs> I feel so embarrassed. Because <laughs> like I'm gonna send like one or two renders of something that I've designed, like, yeah, that looks awesome. <laughs> and, then, and then you send like 20 fucking renders of something that's like 10 times more complicated. I'm like, fucking hell, you just you just made me look like an asshole. <laughs> ah dude. Stop it. And then the yeah. other way, like we, I had to do some environment stuff, and I would send one freaking room, and you sent like twenty, and they're all amazing in the lead. So you know, balance. I think it's yeah. It's, all it's just like uh, you know, for for some of the some of the directors and production designers out there, it's just like they they just like, yeah, you cannot compare anyone to Vitaly because he's just like he's a he's a beast mode. He's an absolute savage. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, man. dude, you've. Um, I mean, we've we've been on a couple of projects together now, like dude, quite we, we accidentally. We were even on cancel on some of the canceled big shows, dude. That yeah, we, we've been on Tron, and yeah, that was bad. that was canned. That was a fucking a bummer. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ghost in the Shell coming together, so hopefully yeah. that comes out and we'll be able to show some work. Hopefully, yeah, that was a fun. fun fun project. I'm I, I'm still doing some stuff with him, like kind of a late VFX. Oh, nice. For shot kind of design, uh, design stuff. So yeah, that's awesome. I saw. I remember, you were the fir- You and me were actually first people on the show. Do you know that? Uh, I, I think I heard, but I didn't. I didn't think about yeah, it. Yeah, you and me awesome. were the only artists that were from the very beginning till the very end, on that show. Damn. Yeah, that's kind of impressive. Better that's be good. Of, then. That's kind of cool. Yeah, better be fucking good. If not, I'll be. I'll be really sad, really, really sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, what have you been up to uh, recently? Uh, so I've been. Is there anything you can talk about from yeah, the things you yeah, do these I, days? Yeah, I actually at least can mention that. So I've trying to been, have been trying to split my kind of working week, uh, keep going at the entertainment design while doing most of the work for for product design, right? So like. Mm-hmm. In, design. So uh, my main kind of ongoing project has been uh, that Mac, the large main robot with Korea Future Technology, which is a Seoul, a South Korea based uh, company. Mm-hmm. And that that one has been quite an incredible journey because of the, uh, well, they, they pretty much let me do whatever the hell I want there, which is incredible. Uh, but also, like, I need to work with engineers. So I really need to understand the, the 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 constraints and limitations and whatnot, right? So it started like they led me to do a lot of uh, early designs, and now it's just CAD to make the stuff that we can actually build. Uh, and uh, so this has been kind of a one continuous project for the past somewhat, I don't know, um, quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other time I spent, I've been working with uh, Boston Dynamics, uh, and my role there is way less involved. So it's just uh, kind of a, a shell, like exterior shell pass on one of their bipedal robots projects. 
and you might have seen one of them, the Atlas. Uh, yeah. So like I work on that. I oh, I'm a, just designing robots. This is really insignificant. I'm just making but, shit like, look awesome that people are just fucking masturbating that, that to. That stuff, like I didn't really do much on that one because like they already worked out everything and I just did some uh, shells on top to cover and like up to their specs for like the clearances for the range of motion and again like right. the style like it, it's not it's not uh, that much like I feel I feel like what I need to do let's say like with career future technology that one is way more difficult and more involved so this one uh, it's not as involved but it's, it's an amazing project like awesome awesome uh, learning and I'm very feel very very lucky to be working on that and the other time uh, well as I mentioned I still do some stuff on Ghost in the Shell. Uh, and also working on the Battle Angel. Oh, nice! You're with Which, the with the Lightstorm crew then. Yeah. So Ben Proctor, awesome. Dylan Cole. It's been amazing experience. Like those guys are incredible. And uh, yeah. So the, um, so that's kind of been ongoing project as well. And they, funny enough, like you asked like about the the stuff, but uh, I feel th this kind of a split helps me to really just cross inspired two different fields. So per se, when I work on the uh, entertainment project, like if it's a game or film, I'm trying to ground it more in reality in terms of function and, and just to try to make the stuff make more sense, right? Mm -hmm. And when I work on a product, uh, I'm actually trying to make it a little more crazy than you would usually do just because I know uh, at the early stage, if it's a concept design stage, of course, then you'd rather go crazy first and then rationalize because eventually the reality will hit you so hard you'll you'll have to really redo everything. But when you start and uh, working with engineers, if you can make something to just feel them pumped and inspired by even by your energy and the, the, the effort you put into your work, it feels like it comes back. Like that's how I right. think you mentioned really Apple, but I feel like if you really uh, have that sort of uh, front end vision for an idea and it might not be the same it might not look like in your concept art drawing right but it, it might push uh, the thinking right about the problem in a certain way that it would uh, inspire the tech people working on this and 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 maybe you will meet somewhere in the middle like I had this uh, experience in working at Intel where uh, working, so I work at Intel uh, at NDG. It's, it's a, a new devices group. It's this uh, part of Intel that specializes on uh, wearable tech. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would have this uh, uh, thing when I was deliberately asked to sometimes push certain limitations just a little bit, just enough to, to see the benefit of better design versus the limitation. And just to kind of speak less in abstract term, imagine uh, a watch, right? And imagine that you need a, third, a certain thickness to, to fit all the compartments, all the tech stuff and that stuff and, uh, in, the, in the case. Yeah. And per se we go, like, you know, you would have to be 12 millimeter, but when it's nine millimeter, it looks so much better because right. like you get better proportion, you can, now you can really chamfer that so it's going to look even thinner and then you split it with like let's say use like a rubbery material and then a polished aluminum and now it looks really slim and you do both you may you would make one up to the spec and then you would make one that's a little pushing technology and that way you really show here's what we can do but look how beautiful that would really look and i think this sort of uh, experience really helped me to to uh to feel the value in concept design 
mm-hmm. and uh, as and in general, like, and I feel like in the future we'll see uh, a lot of that stuff. And by a lot of that stuff, I mean like people going from different fields and doing back and forth from like video games to to product design and hopefully it's gonna just make the whole tide go up you know we'll make yeah. the games look better you know the products will be more exciting and less like just sterile and things like that you know it almost feels like with the advancement of hardware and software um you're less of a you're less of a specific artist let's say 3d artist or texture artist environment artist mm-hmm. uh we all we, we all become more of a gener- generalists um where software becomes so easy where you can learn it really fast and yeah. and be proficient with it and use it for your work and to a point where some of the some of the tools that you learn they're so well streamlined that it, that, that it can be used whether it can be used in film or or even video games recently you know especially yeah. like how much more polygons video games can push that you don't have to limit uh your poly count that much or you still have to for consoles but you know it's it's growing and growing and, and becoming more possible to use high high higher res uh characters like i guess great example would be you know even looking at uncharted games oh yeah that looks like ten, i think the, the head itself from uncharted 4 like drake's head mm-hmm. has more polygons than the whole body in uncharted 3 just to give you oh, shit. <laughs> just to give you an example and um so it's like constantly constantly and continuously growing like when i was working uh with you on ghost in the shell and i i just can't wait to show that stuff but i would create stuff in cad mm-hmm. and send the files and they could basically use it in production like they would print it out or mail oh yeah. It. yeah yeah yeah, and that's uh, a huge. That's a huge, huge advantage, I think, for for entertainment industry. Yeah, especially. and that's that's almost like you're stepping into what set designer role really is. So I mean, we had Scott uh, Schneider, who's a set designer in film, and in, in you, we were discussing like how close illustrators these days uh, are getting to what set designers do, and how really those those two roles start to cross over and create like this more cohesive, more productive entity that that basically makes films uh, happen faster and yeah. and with less resources, let's put it this way. Yeah, uh, exactly, So it's kind of yeah. interesting. And uh, what I really admired about yourself, and I, I had this, um, I, I think the first time I spoke about it was a couple of years ago when I had my talk over at uh, Art Institute in San Bernardino, which is, by the way, available online if you search it. It's like four hours talk oh, I, need, I need to listen to it <laughs> what's Just, the call again uh, hey, it's uh, art institute san, san, san bernardino um I, if you google that with my name next to okay. it it should be somewhere it should be i think i even have, have it on my own profile nice. uh, my youtube yeah, profile but it. what i was saying there is like when you're becoming an artist in the entertainment industry especially is that you can be either a one two percenter which means that you're so good that you're getting work and everyone wants to hire you or you're going to be the 98% of what, you know, like if you go on, on main page DeviantArt, you know what you see there. It's like, ah, so much average. Like it's just really, you know, um, those artists are not going to get hired. Those artists have to look for work. And that's basically how it, how it looks in the entertainment industry right now. You're going to have certain percentage of, really good artists that 
are basically like everyone wants you because you're so good because they you, they know you're delivering the quality. And I was I think I, I don't I don't know if I was saying that, uh, that during the talk or I was mentioning it later. You know, there's only going to be one Vitali, there's only going to be one Mike Nash, there's only going to be one Fausto, um, and then people just going to copy that, and then it's going to be like you know Vitali babies out there basically, you know, using your photo bash, uh, your, your kid bash uh, elements and building their own stuff. But it's never going to be the level uh, on which you're working on. And what I really admired about your work, sp specifically yours, because I, I believe you're top three or top four designers out there that I really fucking look up to because you've always been pushing the boundaries. You're, you've never been settling into like, oh, um, I'm good at this. This is this is fine. I don't need to move any further than that. Anytime I talk with you, I'm like my mind is blown because you're mentioning things like, "Holy fuck, you're doing this now!" Oh shit, the thing that you just posted, you did it four years ago. Like, holy fuck, fuck, fuck. Thanks, Likewise, dude. Fuck. Likewise, same, same goes to you. Okay. <laughs> um, so when I hear that, it's it's, get, it's getting me really inspired. I think it was a conversation you had with Ash actually during the um, collective podcast you've mentioned something that really r resonated with me and i think with a lot of artists as well is that you know whenever you expose yourself whether you're teaching or releasing assets and like you did with your kid bashing for instance right um you're leaving some some of your legacy behind and you're exposing yourself to a, an idea that you're not in that comfortable spot anymore where like only I can do this and no one else and uh, it's gonna be awesome because I'm so special. No, you're just like putting, this is done. I can move move away from that because I've already done that. I've done it for so long that I don't need to repeat myself over and over yeah. and over. Now it's, it's time to move It's hard to do because like you're making yourself, uh, if you feel vulnerable in the same yeah. time, but you know this will naturally force you to come up with some creative new exactly. potential to feel and it's it's, it's always hard to do, and uh, but only kind of like you only in retrospect you understand really the value of it. Like I, looking back, I realized like there were so many opportunities I would never be able to even uh, to, in, to be able to work on because if I would just try to like oh this is it like I'm only gonna do this and that's it. So yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. You have to push yourself. Um, you always have to push the limits. You always have to find something new to learn and improve because if you're just going to stay in one spot uh, you know what happens when when you stay in one spot for too long it's just like you wake up and like holy fuck everyone moved on <laughs> oh yeah you're you're either getting better or worse you, you don't stay in the same spot i don't yeah. think that even exists right so yeah yeah that's true that's true um i think someone was asking on the stream and we're going to go into questions but oh, I, nice, yeah. um we're going to go into questions really soon but Someone was asking about books, and I have been have been fucking spammed by Ash recently, and he <laughs> he told me specifically to talk with you about the uh, the mastery book. Oh yeah, dude, that book is incredible. If you get an unabridged version, like an audiobook, like I think it's sixteen or seventeen mm -hmm. hours. I just started listening to it. Yeah, it's really really good uh, because. You know, like we, I know you like books, Ash, and, uh, you know, yeah, we constantly uh, share them together. Like I mean, even with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Like instant to add to read list. But like with this book, uh, what I liked about it, it's a very, it feels very thorough study. What is it exactly? 
what does it exactly mean to acquire a skill set and and then what to do after like what what do you do with a skill afterwards right, right. and it's it's sort of like a great recollection of existing stories and also a theory like a very in-depth theory what does that mean what what experience of that particular let's say, scientist of his life could mean for you and uh, i think at the end of the day uh the biggest kind of value of it it's really to uh, break things down in, into kind of actionable steps, something you to, to take off the pressure and the sense of overwhelming, you can say, anxiety of like, okay, what do you do ne next? What do you do now? Like, mm -hmm. and it, at the end of the day, it really helps to find, uh, to come to realization that you only need to uh, develop your own voice. Uh, and because like, and it, it, there is something I heard it's from another book, but also I like, it says uh, something like this, it's, uh, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. Right. And it's like, it's, it's like, if you think about it, it's so true because like everybody's got their own different potential and you only want to be the best version of yourself and understanding the only, you got your own set of life experience that no one else got. That means you have this niche just for you to do certain things that you want to do. You just really need to work on understanding what that thing is and then apply very, very disciplined approach towards uh, getting good at that stuff. Right. And, uh, and that book is just so in depth on that. Like it's pretty fucking crazy how many things are covered. There's not, there's no, uh, a stone left in turn. And, uh, funny, <laughs> like I posted, I, I finished, I finished it, I think like two days ago on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, four days ago. So I finished it this weekend. Uh, just like listen to the remaining like seven hours or so. And I, when I posted on Instagram, a recommendation about this book, a few, a few guys. And if you're listening, thanks a bunch for a recommendation. Cause there was an, there's another book they recommended also called mastery, but from different author. So this mm -hmm. one I'm talking about the big one. Uh, it's from, I think Robert green. And there's another one from, uh, George. Oh my God. I forgot. George there's Lucas. Another, George Lucas. <laughs> it's summer. No, it's, uh, uh, oh my God, I forgot. But like, there is another book, uh, Smaller Mastery and uh, uh, George Leonard. Yeah, and he he was like a, a black belt uh, Aikido master and also like a fighter jet instructor. Like so, and that book really goes in depth in uh, dealing with plateau. And I think that like, if you need to read, you really want to read both of those books. Sure. I'll and that. I will not try. I will definitely do. I already started the first one. I'm on the first, on the second chapter right now. So. Oh, nice. Are you reading or are you listening? I'm listening. I mean, I don't have time to read. I, I wish yeah. I had. I, I listen to those when I go for a walk or uh, to the gym or something like that, yeah. where, you know, I can just place it in my headphones and and enjoy the sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. hearing. Yeah, same it. thing. Uh, and uh, the, the, the thing is, like, the, for the second book, I couldn't find an audible, so I, um, I had to read it. Right. And dude, that book is awesome. It's like, uh, in, you know, we talk a lot about like, oh, this is set your goal, be clear, achieve and like work hard. And the, the other book, it talks more about uh, how to appreciate the inevitable plateau. Mm -hmm. And like it does it in such a graceful way that you really get to kind of enjoy your daily routine, even if it's something you've done like a million times. And I think uh, especially if you're in today's world of being kind of overly informed with what everybody's doing. It feels like there's just so much stuff going on. It feels like you never have enough time to do what you want to do. And the other book, it has more of like a calming effect 
on just like, dude, just focus on daily practice and enjoy the practice. It's like being on plateau is, is, a, is a juice of life in a way, because that's what most of your life will be made of. Yeah. And if you can't enjoy that, then you, dude, you're missing out on life altogether. And yeah. like looking back at the old kind of tougher years of just de uh, developing and like building portfolios for, for career and all that stuff, uh, I, I realized like, yeah, that's very true because you just enjoy doing what you do and eventually you will, you will get kind of a, uh, through this threshold of learning that you can actually produce something with your voice in this, you know? So yeah, two books must definitely a must. I'll try I, Have you, have you tried, um, good to great? Oh book? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yes. it's, it seems to be very similar. I, what I liked about Mastery, at least from the first chapter that I read or listened to, is that it's mm -hmm. a very scientific, almost a historical sort of breakdown of exactly every every talking point. It's it's just like it's it's driven by examples. It's not like anecdotal um, evidence. It's 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 really scientific approach to why and and how. Very much like good to grade. Like when you listen to good to grade. There is nothing there like any of the points that are made in that book. They're based off 40 years of research, like throughout oh, research yeah. of the industries, like every single industry, not just one specific idea or one specific thing that just happened to work to support, you know, your talking point, which mm -hmm. a lot of books that I've noticed do that, that they just they just like conveniently find one thing that works for the book and then ignore hundreds of others that, you know, yeah, are quite contrary, pieces, right? You know? <laughs> Whereas this one is just like, how can you even argue with, with 40 years of fucking research, you know, where yeah. every single way, regardless whether it's a te technological or uh, software um, boom or whatever, whatever the fuck, like, you know, there are certain yeah. principles of how you should run the business in order to make it successful and what you should not do um, ever when you're running a business. And it's based on any any industries with like so many examples and how it's just like to a point what's failing and what's really working and and mm -hmm. why. And it seems that the mastery book is, is very similar in a way, you know, it's it's. Um, at least the way it starts, I can't wait to to get it done. I get, get it. I feel finished. like it, it kicks in maybe on like hour four when you realize that it also can be very personal. Like yeah. I like good to great that it, it really can help you to set the right mentality for for you know the business development. Yeah. And uh, and uh, this book is almost like hey, how about we talk really in depth just your personal journey, like yeah. you as a, as a, as a craftsman or like an artist or as an author, whatever you whatever you set your mind to. And it's almost like there's nothing uncovered on that book and nothing like no, no stone left and turn in a way. It's like, okay, well, I remember that, you know, I had this plateau or I remember there was this problem. It even talks about like social dynamic when uh, it's like, for example, if you have a, a mentor and then at some point, how do you develop your own voice, you know? Yeah. And like, there's so many things that are just practical. So yeah, uh, totally. And that book now makes me want to listen to Good to Great because I think they do correlate a lot. Yeah, I've read that book four times, or I've listened to it four times. It's Damn. literally that good. <laughs> it's so awesome. I, I'm probably gonna end up doing the same thing with the mastery book because I really, from the very beginning, I, I I love what I what I hear there. You know, it's just like 
I really want to have a almost scientific breakdown of why, on why your arguments are making sense. Like mm -hmm. if you're if you're backing it up with data and with a proper breakdown of you know most prolific minds and how those minds work and how things are basically you know laid out in their heads, yep. and then you can find the parallel uh, of that in your own journey. That's what really resonates with me because, like for instance, I was. Um, I was reading that book or reading again, fucking listening to the audiobook. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was um, Compound Effect. And as much oh, as I love... I think you guys recommended me. You recommended yeah, me. Yeah. As much as I love that book because it, the, way it's, the way it's written, the way it's read by the author, uh, it, it really gets you pumped. Like you really want to be creative and really do something, right, with your life. It's, it's really for just motivational stuff. It's, yeah. it's perfect. The only thing that um, that I found frustrating is that some of the assumptions of the book and it's, you know, the book overall is really good. I, I would yeah. still recommend to read it or listen to it. But one of the things that was really frustrating is just just like a lot of things are anecdotal, like they might work for you, but might, might not, you know, whereas when you listen to Good to Great and as I'm listening to uh, Mastery, it seems like it's just yeah it, it it is what it is and you cannot even argue with it mm -hmm. it seems it seems that way it's funny as you as you mentioned about plateaus and you know personal journey the truth is and you you, you know you know that as well is that you're never gonna be on the steady sort of linear uh um you know a progression where it's always gonna be you're always progressing you're always doing better and always everything is happening awesome and you never run into any problems or plateaus or anything like that um the reality is it's almost like a bell, bell curve that like a oscillating curve like it's always ups and downs right you're gonna have those moments where you're really having a breakthrough it's like fuck yeah this is finally working I'm getting into 3d everything is coming together this is fast this is great a lot of work and then it's just like months later it's just like fuck nothing is working <laughs> this is crashing like fuck like fuck i don't yeah, i don't yeah. get this new software i don't get that i like i, I can't find motivation so it's always going to be ups and downs and it's never going to be just this one the one one constant thing but the great thing about those books when we when we talk about them and uh when you really try to apply the ideas and knowledge that are in those books is that it gives you sort of like a blueprint how to improve even if it's just a percentile improvement over what you do daily that percentile over time will compound in a way that you can't even imagine you know it's almost like saving money like you, you might think like one percent of your savings it's not really that much but you know maybe for first 10 years you're not gonna see a big difference but next 10 years it's just like fucking how in the how in the hell that one dollar turn into hundred thousand you know yeah same it's with just, the practice you know uh, yeah same exactly like if you if you just develop a natural kind of a very uh quiet joy for daily practice and this is your part of your ritual it will it will be a compound effect for sure like dude i was reading uh today so from from this smaller mastery book right and uh and the he was he had this paragraph about i think like a really awesome golfer from like 70s mm-hmm uh, who basically his whole kind of approach to to how he he did golf because he had a very high consistency of like winning tournaments and whatnot right so and he would say like that it's fifty percent 
uh, visualization, 40% setup, and only 10% it's a swing. And and if you think about it, like it's so appropriate to let's say how you do design or art, whatever, right? It's because your visual, like how you visualize what you're gonna do, it's uh, it's a big part of of your practice because this is basically a free practice hour that you get without even being in front of a computer, right? Yeah. And then the, your setup is like, okay, do you have a good software? Like, do you really know the software? Do you have a powerful hardware to really go fast when you need it? Some things like this. So this is your part of your setup. And on, only 10% is when you sit down and execute it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I agree with that. Yeah. It's, there is also this thing, you know, uh, when you visualize something and you sit down and you think you're ready and it doesn't work, you're getting mm -hmm. frustrated. But if you're... Uh, so you, going back again to the idea, why, why would you read those books? Like, well, it's a waste of time. I, I would rather practice, you know? But yeah. the small blueprint, the, the idea on how you should conduct yourself to be more productive or to find answers that you might not find necessarily yourself is that in the, in, in the event, in the moment where you sit down and you, you face the problem that you don't know how to tackle, yeah. once, you, once you get like a little, at least a hint of what can be done, it just, it, it creates that cycle, that, you know, snowball effect, or like, all right, if I fix this little small thing, and I and I start to understand how this works, from there, it opens up more gates, oh, this is how it works, oh, so I have to look into this thing next, and then after that, there's 10 other things that are in, the, in this nice uh, linear path, and then it's just, it just like starts to expand and expand and you get more knowledge and more ideas and you know and more answers and that's how you you find the answer to your specific problem by just uh, you know applying those techniques and applying it's i, I know i talk really vague uh here but um you know when you have a blueprint like for instance uh, let me let me talk about this book for instance uh, you said uh it was uh essentialism I think that was one of the books that you you were. Yeah, I also uh, really like that one. That one yeah. was uh, Jonathan Jonathan Berube. You you know him, right? Like that was yeah, yeah. that you recommended that book to me, and I really liked it. And there was one more, Eat That Frog. So if you uh, combine, that was a classic, yeah. yeah, if you combine those two two books, which basically say this: focus on two or three things in your life that you really want to do, and then everything else is really low priority. And the second thing is start with the hardest part first and get that solved and once once that's done then move to easier and easier tasks and if you really start applying that logic to everything you do in your life you'll find that there's nothing out there that is too difficult to be done yeah Great. yep so amen to that brother <laughs> um, amen we can we can stop here <laughs> amen to that fucking yeah. go home now <laughs> hope everyone convinced we need to read books yeah you should you everyone should that's that's the way you, that's the way you learn that's the way you progress you know even if it, if the book itself is not really related to art itself a lot of the ideas apply to how you solve problems uh in art as well you know because it's just yeah. like you know software it's really just technical issues and even finding design language and and finding your own style comes down to the same thing the practice and the and having the right mindset to to the practice you know finding the right solutions, finding the right references to look at, um, or even just challenging yourself with things that no one else would be looking at, you know? 
like one of the reasons why I never look at ArtStation or DeviantArt or any other art forums anymore. I just stopped. Like it's just, I don't really need that. Um, it's a it's a big bias to to your work. Whenever you so look at someone else's work, uh, another artist's work, what happens is just that it's just like you're gonna end up doing something similar, even if you don't want to. Somewhere in your subconscious, you will remember the imagery uh, that will just get you inspired, and you're gonna do something similar. It's not gonna be anything new. Um, so I, I try to look for references elsewhere, and uh, whether it's fashion or you know even just like weird fucking psychological um uh religious uh -huh. stuff where you look into things that normally you would never think could apply to art at all yeah. it's just finding those weird small uh subject matters that can be applied uh into into your art it's uh, to the art itself i had a great experience uh working with john gata when I was uh, working on Jupiter Ascending, even though the movies turned down to be really shitty, um, I it was one of the best experiences to have because John basically tackled my my mindset to look into references completely different than I used to before. When, you know, if I was creating say an armor, uh, like a you know sci-fi armor or something like yeah. that, I would be looking at oh okay sci-fi armor Google fucking. <laughs> cyberpunk robots and shit like that and you would usually get the same repetition of language that has basically been there uh for ages and used by everyone and so everything looks pretty much the same no like with him i would look into bugs into fucking close-up a microscopic close-up of uh ants fucking awesome. asshole or something like that i don't know Love it, dude. um and it was like really challenging experience it was one of the first sci-fi projects i was working on too so it was just like a perfect sort of segue from everything else that i was doing because it really challenged the way i, I would be looking for references you know and you rarely get that chance to um to be challenged by someone who's really smart and if you if you cannot get that then try to you know challenge yourself with uh with something unorthodox uh, yeah. And even just reading books, like the book itself can give you ideas. Like, what if I do this all of a sudden? It can give you that idea, right? What if I start looking at, you know, underground life, like some bugs or some snails and some shit, like into hmm. like really mic microscopic uh, view. And that gives you an idea for environment art, you know? Why yeah. not? I mean, y you can find so many... Uh, ideas in nature whether it's patterns or, All of or it, functionality or, or anything yeah. like that you know so yeah exciting stuff exciting stuff very, very all right stuff. dude let's get to some questions i i know there's a ton of them uh for you man nice. yeah there's a lot <laughs> um the first one's from eddie uh he says Hey guys, Vitaly, I'm saving money to do a six-month sabbatical to work on my environment concept abilities. Do you have any advice or something that you recommend for sabbaticals? Yes. Hey, Eddie. Well, first of all, it's a fucking awesome idea. Congrats. This is great. I would recommend start with a shorter sabbatical because uh, if, you, if your first one will be six months, it, it will make you feel like it's a lot of time. And my first sabbaticals were like two weeks. It's when I was back in Russia working video game. Like my very first one was two weeks. Then it was two months. 
and uh, this will help you to iterate and understand your uh, how you manage your time personally. And like, for example, like for me, it was a lot of things that came kind of a new, uh, like for example, like I had to, before uh, starting planning my day, I started with logging the day just to try to understand where, where exactly I waste my time. And like, I was able to find like few items that I couldn't even, didn't have to do per se. And if I feel you have, if I feel I have a lot of time, I feel like it's almost like, it's a big budget project. Six months is a lot of time. And I'd say give it a warm up, give it like two weeks, but don't really tell anyone that it's like, oh, it's your sabbatical, like treat it like work. Like if you stay home, but treat it like work, get up at the same time, plan your day carefully and really see, uh, try to use this, let's say two weeks as a, as a sort of uh, uh, kind of a test to learn more about yourself because everybody's different and everybody's got their own way of, of thinking and uh, their own way of kind of getting in the zone where the, when they're both both relaxed and focused at the same time because that's kind of the state you want to be uh, and if you can stay in that state uh, like for a long period of time that it's great but yeah I just give it give it a try give it a short one see what kind of uh, uh, lesson you can learn for yourself and uh, uh, Keep, keep the log of it, like keep a document, uh, like I always have a, like a Word document open for my daily like goals and priorities. And if you give yourself, let's say two weeks at the start, really look into the discrepancies between what you expected and what, and what really happened. And kind of give yourself a retrospective once you're done with a two weeks period, because I think this is where all the gems are to really understand certain kind of things about yourself. As I said, like everybody's different and certain things work uh, for some people, certain things don't. So I think if the, the, the sooner uh, sort of uh, the faster the iteration is for that kind of a self-learning process, the more scalable it will become on a longer period of time. Because like six, min six months is awesome. Like you can totally change a career, your career for six months if you do it like very kind of strategically and you're prepared for it. So just like, you know, imagine uh, you have to start a business and someone just drops a $20 million on you. Most likely you're not going to be very efficient with, with that amount of money. But if you start, let's say, with 20000 first or even like 1000 and you need to survive on that to make a profit, you'll really establish the foundation. And again, I, Eddie, I don't know, like, what's your, uh, uh, for example, your current sort of uh, uh, status on your personal journey, like towards uh, mastery of, like, efficiency and so you, you it may be ready i really don't know so take everything i say please take with a grain of salt and at the end of the day do what you think is right but if you haven't done something like this before maybe it's a good idea to start with a with a smaller i think that that's it but good luck man this is awesome i'm very very excited to hear that you should add to every everything you say you can add allegedly and then you're legally sound allegedly yeah <laughs> so i can you can take it to court yeah allegedly what I would add is, you know, have a goal for your sabbatical, like know exactly what you want to do. And once you do that, then, you know, treat it as you're about to win the million dollar lottery if you do it right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's super important. Everyone is different. I can agree. Like if you, if you don't really plan ahead and take a lot of time off and like just treat it as a time off just to learn new things, what's going to happen? You're just going to be on YouTube and Facebook and playing games and not really progressing because like, oh, I still have a lot of time. <laughs> when you really treat it as a job, that's a, that's a whole different, different story. Yeah. It, it requires very, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, go go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, while you were still on Facebook, you could use their uh, apps. You can block your Facebook. Yeah, there's so it's like only there's works. A... Let's say on Sunday afternoon. That's it. Like you can totally make make it easy for you to kind of sell those constraints. That's all. Yeah, Sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just like it for. It's really difficult to be um, to be productive. Like force yourself to that level of produ productivity and keep it consistent. You know, because there's always going to be vices and distractions that will just make your life like oh, I can now perhaps you can take a nap or watch some TV you know yeah. you don't have to do that no, no one's paying you you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. it's always the, the, a trap like that that just makes you know the time you, you take off to learn something cannot be can turn out not to be a worthwhile because you're just not not having a structure so having a really good structure helps and really forcing yourself like even if it's really un uncomfortable it's like fuck I'm, I'm i'm making my life a mess or making my life really difficult for myself where you should i mean that's how you're gonna learn that the, the it's like with workouts or um and progression in general that you really start to progress and and make leaps uh in in the way uh you uh you become better at, at specific uh thing like whether it's your, your learning modeling or whatnot is when you're struggling the most and you're trying like a madman to find an answer and the 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 amount of failure the amount of things you're doing wrong along the way and even the the answer is really simple what it gives you is the satisfaction of finding the the actual answer and, and making a progress progression and finding okay i finally figured out how to do shaders or a skin shader and now i can use it in my work and now i can improve it and now i can make it even better you know but the struggle and the fucking failures and hundreds of renders that went wrong and trying to find the right setting by just changing the numerics by 0 0.01 in in the fucking shader tree that has hundreds of nodes and you're frustrated right. frustrated because every time you have to re-render hundreds yeah. of times and it takes forever to see the results that's when you progress because you just like you're building yourself that resilience to keep going even if it's uncomfortable and nothing works you know yeah man i agree well one else uh, one, uh, another thing you could also do to, to see if that helps uh you can find yourself a body that can hold you just accountable for whatever the ta the goals you have so you can give yourself per se like a goal for this week that is realistic but also challenging enough and and your 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 friend can can kind of keep you accountable for that. So that yeah. could also that could also help you to kind of fight those those temptations and distractions to to spend time that doesn't contribute to 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 achieving that goal. <laughs> you can ask Andrew how much should we give one another at Learn Square nice. meetings. <laughs> Mostly just me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you would wish to see my 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 um, private chat with Ash? It's just like fucking bombarding me like. <laughs> you suck. Pick it up, you fucker. Stop nice. being lazy. How many um, times am I gonna tell you that? <laughs> we got a bunch of questions that were asking about like when and how you got your start in the industry. I'm not even gonna attribute it to one person asking it because pretty much everyone asked it. Oh, nice. Sure. Uh, so, like, how old were you and how did you get your first gigs? Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's see, I started before even making any money out of doing modeling and stuff. Uh, my brother was working into like an internet cafe 
and I was making maps for like Half-Life, Quake 2, Counter-Strike later on. And that was pretty much my kind of a first ex being exposed to 3D. And in school, which is like a post-Soviet Union type of like public school, we had technical drawing. I think when you're like 15 or something like this, you just do that. That's kind of what you do at school. You like uh, draw details at like machine parts and like three different angles and pers not perspective, like isometric views, but basically that was at the time, I think around 15 or 16, when I realized like I kind of like something that has to do with 3D. Uh, so I was already doing that uh, by the time I finished my high school. So I think my first kind of local, local jobs, they were, didn't pay anything, but there was a good, good start to do. It was like kind of very shitty version of our local architectural visualization. So that was, and I was ready to do anything, man, like to do that, that could pay um, basically. And uh, because we didn't have anything like this in terms of education in, in my country, I thought, you know what, maybe I could get something related with computers. So, and because I was somewhat good in math in school, I went to become a programmer, which is a total fail, right? Like two years after being, trying to become a programmer in university, I was already doing like freelances, uh, doing uh, some of the modeling. And the way I started, it was kind of the same way you do today. Like you, you model something, you post it online. And I did a lot of, uh, like I would model like a truck, trying to make it very close to a real truck, you know? And uh, I would do like 50% like fantasy stuff, like armors and swords, and like 50% more like mechanical, just trying to learn as much as I could about modeling. And funny, like at the time, I couldn't get a job as a modeler because uh, a potential employers would laugh at me that I, all I could do was modeling. Like you had to be like a generalist at the time. Like it was like, hey, what about the animation and this? I'm like, uh, I don't know, I, modeling is hard enough for me, so I, I only do this <laughs> for now. And it was like, it was, I re even remember like, it was almost like a point of humiliation where like this chick comes out and she was like this, I'm going to use your word, Mecha, allegedly this awesome uh, local like animator and, and everything, like she could do everything. And, and she's like, no, 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 you will never get a job just doing just one thing. I was like, all right, sure. So, but I, I kept trying and I uh, started doing more characters. And that was kind of the beginning of the so-called next gen. I think uh, when it started more of a, a kind of a freelance friendly in the overall industry, which was like 2004, yeah. uh, middle of 2003 already. Um, so my very first, I think it was like online browser based Russian RPG game where I was doing, uh, like swords and, and, and helmets, like it was all very fantasy. And the thing was like about that project, they, it wasn't, they didn't separate, uh, concept artist and 3d modeler. There was like a 3d artist. Hey, we need a three artist. So, and you get a task. Hey, we need like five swords and this and that. Just do that. And there was no. It was basically no direction. Like you, I would just do that. And they, they either <laughs> say they're total shit, or they accept it and you get paid. And if they don't like it, you don't get paid. <laughs> your your hours that you work, you don't get paid. <laughs> it was an awesome experience. So this is something I think I was uh, 17 or 18. But then when I went to university, I had like a first experience of actually doing. A more of a professional work in, in terms of like how it was treated more seriously by the employee 
and uh, it was the first freelance uh, doing the models for expansion pack of the first-person shooter called Fear. Uh, and there were some other games that never got made. So I think that was the start. And uh, that's when I, I think, realized I really just enjoyed doodling with 3D, like just like doing 3D modeling. And from there, it was uh, after two years in university, I decided to quit. I got a job offer in, in Russia and moved from Moldova to Russia uh, to work in a science fiction film that was also never got made. But it was a good, good experience, nevertheless. And then I went to work in a uh, game, uh, an MMO game, also in Moscow, while continuing working on my portfolio. And also started working in the uh, working with American companies that do uh, uh, video games and like models for them. So essentially, it was mostly modeling with a little bit of kind of a filling in the blanks for concept design. And uh, as my but my day job was doing a lot of concept and also a lot of 2D for uh, costume designs and and uh, armor designs and weapon designs for the for the MMO that we're working on. So essentially, I had two jobs at the time. That was around I think that was from at the end of 2006 till 2008, uh, beginning of 2009. That was like, I would have two jobs, like one normal hours in the in the office and, and the freelance afterwards. And that was very difficult, but I think that was also kind of how you how I was able to pack more practice hours. And like, yeah. you, you essentially, you pack four years of practice in two years. <laughs> uh, the best and, thing. Yeah, yes, and, and that really helped. And uh, that, when I think at the, at the end of 2008, I got a job offer at work at Blizzard. So looking back, I think like quitting university was actually a very uh, smart thing for me to do because by the time that oh, my yeah, for sure. my classmates graduated, uh, and I already had like a two years of thing experience or like three years of actual working experience, and then got my job at Blizzard Cinematics. So it was like it was a very good. It turned out well. I didn't know at the time. I think it's a lot of luck. And I just got lucky to meet a lot of a lot of people, but also work a lot. So it was, I think, a mix of both. Um, and from there, uh, like after three or four years at Blizzard, I started doing more and more 3D. Uh, sorry, 3D design using less uh, 2D and less paint over, and just like doing more 3D as my primary media for for doing design stuff. And started doing some first uh, product stuff. It was like, it's a company called Red uh, Red. Uh, they do camera. I did some work for them, and then did stuff for Oakley. I uh, didn't know any CAD at the time, uh, but I really felt like just passionate about uh, trying to push the aesthetics towards something that is both uh, futuristic but also practical and and realistic, mm -hmm. something that can be can be done. And that's uh, uh, when uh, Robocop happened. Uh, so I worked on the Robocop reboot, and then later Transformers and the Terminator. And kind of from then from from that on, I was I wasn't ready at Blizzard. I was doing a lot of freelance. And uh, and I think the the other part of the story I, I kind of already explained at the beginning. That's how I started doing CAD. So yeah. I hope this somewhat in a convoluted way covers. Uh, no, it's the, good. It's good breakdown, cool. dude. All right, thanks. The show. Um, all right, so I think we have time for one last question, uh, and I think it would be good to wrap up with like, uh, how do you manage your time daily? Um, Nilberto asks, how do you manage your time daily and things like uh, work time and workouts and freelance and personal work and basically keeping track of everything that you do beyond just your main jobs? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot you know, of people like, were uh, curious about sleep schedules, too, for what it's worth. So my, my sleep schedule got much better. I think for the past uh, year, I, I do not 
sacrifice my sleep anymore. Like it used to be terrible. And now it's always eight hours. And on the weekend, I can even sleep like nine hours. And it used to be very bad and not very healthy. I feel like if I don't sleep enough, I'm less productive. So I think that uh, sleeping schedule is important to keep it consistent and also enough getting enough hours. Uh, and you can still get a lot. You can still get stuff done. And I feel like I, I haven't sacrificed my productivity by not sacrificing the sleep time. Uh, I'm somewhat of a uh, what's it called, like an owl vampire schedule. I like working at night and go late at night and to bed. I work from home, uh, uh, and uh, that helps me a lot by you know kind of setting my schedule that I can get up late and and just work from home, right? Also, some of my, like I work with South Korea, so like they, their schedule is very different. So sometimes we would have like a Skype meeting for, for work, like at 1 a.m., right? And it's totally fine, uh, like 1 a.m., like U.S. time per se. So uh, I think from, if you read any book on, on uh, uh, time management, right? So the, the foundation, I feel, is the same for me. Like I do exactly the same thing, like by the book, just trying to, uh, prior, setting the priority, do the hardest thing first, the most important things first. Like any task, yeah, you usually can break down what are the three parts, like the component of this task that would make 80% of results. So you know the Pareto principle, like 20% of effort would create you 80% of, of the work, right? So I usually try to, to start with that. And uh, the basic idea how I setting my schedule, like an actual list, you know, like a schedule that is written down is I try to deconstruct every project, every task uh, into as many simple actionable steps that you can't possibly mess up. Like even if it's something very simple, it's like you need to run some errands like you. I would write my, I would write like, okay, 10 minutes to prep for, for driving, then okay, 15 minutes for the drive, then 15 minutes to buy the thing, 15 minutes to come back. And like, okay, and I would try it all right. I would, I would write it all down, even if it's not work related, right? And I think, was it, uh, was, was it Richard Branson who said, there is no work time in life, and work time in life, or like working, oh, sorry, so I think he said something like, there is no work time and play time. It's all lifetime. And yeah. I think once you treat it like it's just your life, you don't, you don't separate work from life, it's just life. Just live and your life. Just leave your life. It just it happens that you. sometime you work and sometime you sleep and sometime you spend uh, with family. It's exactly, still part yeah. of the life, though. Yeah, and I think that really helps. At least it helped me to set my kind of mindset right, to not stress out that you you sometimes don't pack everything in one day because there are things outside of work that you also do want to be doing. Yeah. Uh, especially like after you've been practicing and doing the same thing over and over again for let's say like ten years, uh, you want to be able to just set things in a way that you enjoy your day. So I always keep a log uh, for for my goals for today. And I al always write them down also on my phone uh, because it's just accessible. And sometimes, so let's say if you're in the gym and an idea comes in what you want to do or like adjust uh, how you want to do it, I can, I can just write it down on my phone because it's just accessible, right? And uh, I have this thing that I would call like a list and then a master list and then plan and a master plan. And I would this, the difference is that the list is just everything I want to do. So per se, if this is a project and there is so many things you want to do. And by project, I mean literally anything that has a beginning and the end. Like if this is just a simple design that will take you two hours, like I said, very quick, uh, 
it's still a project, right? If it's something big that takes 10 years, it's still a project. And at least I would write down everything I want to do, like no constraints. If like if I would have infinite resources, I would do that. And this unfiltered list becomes a master list, which is something I would uh, I would just make a more like a realistic take on what I can possibly realistically achieve, right? And and once you have this master list, you can give a, a micro deadline to each step, to each uh, component, like each mini task of that list. And then I just work from that list. And I think the biggest uh, challenge always is to just uh, stay on that list without being distracted, right? Unless this is there is an amazing opportunity to do something that wasn't in the list and it's going to make it better. But usually that that doesn't really happen. Like I feel, at least for me, I'm very bad at like multitasking. Like if I try to multitask, like I, I just it's more suck at task switching than doing everything at once. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really can't do this. Like I can't even I can't even listen to audiobooks or like podcasts while I'm working. I can only listen to like familiar music per se. Like I can't distract. I don't want to be distracted, yeah, right? Same. So, so like for example, like uh, because of that, I really try to to give myself uh, these uh, chunks of like a, a blocks of time that will be uninterrupted, and in between them, I would schedule mini breaks. And the way, you know, like a will, your willpower is just a muscle that if it gets fatigued and it gets tired, it will just die off, right? Like you will, you will burn out. So you don't want that. And I've tried to kind of treat my day the same way where I, uh, let's say I have a 90 minute uninterrupted session working like, let's say on, on this leg right here, like on this design right here. But then I would schedule I the, the screen has frozen. Oh, the frozen screen? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. I was just showing like per se, like this is what I'm working on for the next 90 minutes. And for the next 90 minutes, I have these specific goals. And after that, I have 15 minutes of, or like 10 minutes of mini break. And I wouldn't even give myself what, uh, uh, a goal for that mini break. I can return a phone call, I can go check out my email, or I can, I can you know, go check out Pinterest, whatever. But I know that for that uh, mini break, I shouldn't be working and just walk around and do something else because that will give me the energy back that would relax my willpower again. So sort of... Yeah. Planning your mini breaks is important, I feel. Like I used to do this when I would have no mini breaks, like when I would just work. And this is like the one one route to like getting burned out. Like if, you know, I can do, let's say two days working 16 hours of day, 16 hours a day, do nothing else but work. But after two days, and you, you do like, you can do a week of two weeks worth of work in those two days. But after those two days, you need the day off because you're, you're just, uh, your your brain is dead, like you're really tired. Um, so Welcome trying to, to balance life. out. What is that? <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> oh, dude. And you have family with kids, dude. Like I can't even imagine. So <laughs> yeah, sleep. I'm pretty sure Maciej can probably give a better answer because he has a, I think, more no, challenging. I think you, you, gave, you gave like a good structure on how things should be done. I don't want to give anyone ideas what I do because it's really unhealthy and wrong. <laughs> I'm actually happy because it's just winding down a little bit right now, so I'm gonna have a little more time to have time to actually not do anything, at least for a moment. <laughs> nice, dude, that's yeah. great. Cool. Yeah, I think you know what what you can also add to this is like just just uh, kind of a one thing. Like you can always uh, brute force your way out of right, and by brute forcing I mean like working longer hours, sleeping less, but. 
you can only do that much with that, right? And it's yeah. only it's kind of your secret weapon you, that you do once in a while. And it's good to do it once in a while just to exercise. But I do not recommend to you to, to rely on this as, as yeah. kind of your primary weapon, as your primary tool, because it's not healthy and long term. It's just you will die young. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work. And but it's good at the same time to do it once in a while. Uh, it's just like a workout. Imagine like your, your working routine is a workout. So you have your kind of a standard workout that you try to, to do because you need to exercise certain things. And then you have like a mini exams, right? And it's good to do that stuff with the personal work. Like sometimes you schedule a weekend where you work, but you're on your personal work and you work like twice as hard to get like twice as more things done and try things you haven't tried before. And then after this, you go back to your working week, just like working normal hours. And of course they vary, it could be 10 or 12 hours, but yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's gonna feel like, like nothing, it's gonna feel like vacation. One thing I'm gonna say also that, uh, in, in the past few years, I, I, I'm, no, I'm trying to work no more than 12 hours a day. It varies, right? It, like, sometimes yeah. it's more. Uh, usually it's more. It's never less, but like, it's, it's never less than 12 hours. But before, I would, I would give myself, okay, did you work like 14 and that's normal. And you, you start to burn out. And when yeah. it's just 12, it's like, it's okay. And, and my weekend or my holiday, it's just working normal eight hours. And it doesn't even feel like I was working that day. I feel guilty for not even getting much done. But <laughs> like, oh, not, I only worked eight hours. What the fuck? I'm, I'm lazy fuck. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, but that's not right. And yeah. so just to, I don't want to like, don't try that. You don't think that you will always be able to kind of brute force your way out just by one, working more. Invest in working smarter, right? And like, this is like the, the reason why I bought like more expensive computer like a few years ago, just to, so I can save, like shave off some time. And I don't know if like, if, and that's the reason why I don't drive to, don't want to commute to work. So if like, you know, I can sleep for one extra, uh, one hour, it's going to be better. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just trying to sm work smarter. Know that sometimes you, you have to um, brute force with more hours and more effort. Uh, but having the structure that can, that can challenge you, but also be healthy now that, you know, it's not, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but as long as your life, like I want to be able to enjoy what I do and like working for the next, not just 10 years, but man, yeah. if I can do it for the next 40 years, then excellent. You know? Yep. I agree. Dude, what a perfect way to wrap it up. Fuck. Yeah. I gotta have last question. I think someone asked it. Are you interested in teaching for a squared? And there was a lot of people sending arrows like, yes, 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 yes. Nice. Well, I need to, we're, we need to talk more about it and think more about it. It's just, uh, uh, I'm the only way I can be good at teaching if I really just dedicate my time to it. Yeah. It, it can be like half ass. So if dude, guys, it, if awesome. you heard it, Italy is considering teaching for learn squared. Do, 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 do. I know eventually I will, I will get there. I just don't know if it's going to be, is it going to be like next month or this year, next year, or in five years? I know eventually I would like to just kind of empty the cup and, and, and uh, share with students and learn more from students. I think this is kind of a good way to stay young in your head, right? Yeah, I can so, tell you. Um, the funniest part about teaching, I got into teaching because of you, actually, because of what wow. you said on the um, on the podcast with uh, with Ash. The funny thing I've discovered is when you teach, not only you learn from your own students, but you learn from yourself. You learn the mistakes and things that you're doing wrong, and you're trying to find and refine things to make them better. Because you're, you know, 
I think you're much like me and Ash. You're always starving almost for that perfection, for to getting things done in the right way. And the teaching actually does that for you. When I was writing the class, um, um, Intro to Environment Painting, it was basically based on everything I've learned that I've done wrong in the previous class. Mm. But also it was just like sort of like a traveling back in time into foundation, things that I have never or I haven't done for like longest time. And realizing, nice. holy shit, there's so many things I forgot <laughs> that I need to remind myself. And that that's all that's that's you know, it's like removing rust from from the areas that you might be using again, you know? Yeah. Like sharpening those edges that might be very useful and you start to look at things in a different way and uh yeah it's great dude it's great we i need to do it man we should damn talk. we should talk <laughs> <laughs> all right guys uh let's wrap it up here we we went over time quite a lot oh. normally we all go right. for an hour but yeah it's dude oh with you always you're always welcome back so i'm gonna try to get thanks. you on the on the stream again uh thanks you should, so much, get, you should join us on that um uh fusion 361 on 27th that would be fucking fun dude to have you there um yeah uh, before we finish i want to give a shout out to raja and uh and alex who uh kindly are helping us with moderating the art cafe group and thanks guys sure everything is uh, going on there really nicely and um what else yeah thanks for joining guys thanks for being here dude thanks for for, for spending some time finding time finally <laughs> to have this conversation going um maybe next time you're in la you should Fucking let me know. I wanna. Oh, I did for, for sure. Like, I'm, like, yeah, we're meeting up. That's that's a given. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, my chairman. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime more. Yeah. Fuck awesome. yeah. Fuck yeah, we will. <laughs> Super pumped. Right. Cheers. Thanks, guys, thanks, guys thanks, for coming. Dude. Thanks for joining us live yes. and for listening to it. And uh, peace out. Yay. Bye.